0: Amen. If you have elementary age kids or below, we'd love for them to be a part of what we have happening with our Vine Kids time. Also, 5th and 6th and 7th grade kids are going out the back door there uh, for their time together. Well, if you're here this morning for the very first time, uh, my name is Treb Prater, lead pastor here at Divine Community Church, and we are honored to have you here. Thank you for taking time on a Sunday to come and worship with us. Happy Father's Day to those of you that are fathers. Uh, That's the extent of your Father's Day sermon. Um, Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, It was strong, quite strong. Um, We are in the middle of this journey through the book of John, and When you journey through a book like this, it gets a little bit complicated because one week you'll have these great stories to tell, and then the next week you've got to really dive into deep theological things. And so you don't get to necessarily craft kind of wonderful, kind of story-built sermons that are sort of drawn to entertaining people. You go with text, and sometimes that's really hard, and you have to deal with those things. But it's the beauty of studying Scripture and understanding Scripture is dealing with the nuanced and the complicated and sometimes the things that we don't want to hear. We're in the middle of a section of John that is really challenging. It's really challenging theologically because Jesus is doing something very intentional. We're in the middle of a section where he is actually describing and giving testimony to his own deity in front of the Jewish leaders. Now we've seen Jesus over the past few weeks that we've studied kind of having interactions with people where he is his interaction with them, whether he's healing them or his speaking to them or you know, healing the official son or any of those things, kind of spoke to his deity. But John has moved us into a section where Jesus is giving personal testimony to his own deity. And he's talking very deeply and very theologically to these Jewish leaders. And for a lot of us, what that means is that it means as we're reading the Gospel of John, we nod along and we say, hey, that's awesome, and we just move on. But we don't really get that luxury and we shouldn't have it because it's, it's really powerful, the things that we're going to see Jesus say over these few weeks. And two weeks ago, we began this section of John chapter 5, where we attempted to sort of tackle it all, but I only made it through three verses, and this morning we're actually not going to get through many more than that, because what Jesus is saying is so profoundly important about his nature and the relationship that he has with the Father, that it understand, it defines and helps us understand the nature of a lot of things, including our doctrine of the Trinity, the nature of Jesus himself, and what it means for you and I to surrender to his Lordship. So we're in the middle of that sort of of journey. And I mention that only to say that today is going to be a little different because we are really going to dive in theologically into some deeper things. And so you're going to have to just bear with me. And I'm going to make a little of them tolerable and manageable, but they're really, really important. Okay. So we're in the middle of that section in John chapter 5. And let me remind you how we got there. Jesus was in town for a festival, and he was hanging out uh, with a, a bunch of guys at this pool that were sort of lame and crippled and broken, and they spent time there, and there was a legend that if they spent time at this pool every once in a while, an angel of the Lord would come down, he would stir the waters, right? And the legend was if you, you went down to the pool and you got in it, then you would be healed if you were the first one. And Jesus has this interaction with a man for who for 38 or 40 years had been essentially crippled. And he asks this man if he wants to get well. And the guy says, I can't get down to the water. I, don't, I can't get well. And they sort of had this interaction. And Jesus tells him to pick up his mat and walk. And he does that. And he leaves the area. And he heads over to the temple. And he runs into some Pharisees. And the Pharisees are there. And they're celebrating the, the festival as well. And they see this guy that's crippled carrying his mat. And they've known him because he's been in Jerusalem for 40 years. And he's crippled. and It's not that big a city. And so as he's walking around, they see him walking there with his Matt, And that day is the Sabbath. And the Pharisees had spent a dozen lifetimes creating a sort of supplement to the law of Moses, the law that was given by God to God's people. They created a supplement to that to try and define what those laws were. And one of the laws was honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the Pharisees had spent lifetimes defining what that meant. In fact, they had come up with 39 different laws to define that one law. And one of them was that you couldn't carry your personal possessions or you couldn't move things that you had dominion over on the Sabbath. So you could do certain things, but you couldn't do others. And they saw this guy who was carrying his mat, something he had dominion over, and instead of being excited about the fact that he was healed, they confronted him. And they said, what are you doing? You're breaking the law. You can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. And the guy said, well, actually I can because the guy that told me to carry it, he healed me. And they said, well, who is this? And he said, it's Jesus. And so after that, Jesus has this interaction with the Pharisees that is actually going to be building towards this really complicated sort of debate, fight, if you will, that's going to last all the way up until his crucifixion. This moment begins this sort of hatred that the Pharisees are going to have towards Jesus that's actually going to carry us to the cross. Well, two weeks ago, we see that confrontation come to a head, and the Pharisees sort of attack Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus, in those three verses we looked at two weeks ago, kind of makes a couple of claims to them about himself. He basically says, God can heal on the Sabbath because he's God. And we talked about sort of the nature of that. And then Jesus essentially says, because God can heal on the Sabbath, I can heal on the Sabbath, essentially saying that I Am God. And this infuriated the Jews. In fact, they were so incensed that in 519 we learn that it made them so angry that he was even calling himself equal with God that they tried to kill him all the more. So they wanted to kill Jesus because he essentially was putting himself on par or equal to God. So this morning, Jesus is going to continue that argument. Actually, he's going to continue his defense to these Pharisees, but he's not going to defend what they're saying, right? They're saying you're calling yourself equal to God. He's not going to defend that. He's actually going to support that and make things worse, all right, which is pretty awesome. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 5, and we're going to be in just five verses today, and we're going to look at four or so statements that Jesus makes that are theologically really powerful, yet really complicated, and uh, we're going to try and parse them out a little bit and see what we can find. So if you've got your Bible, open it up, and let's take a moment and let's just pray together. God, I thank you that you are, um, you are king and that you are God and that you are beyond everything that we can comprehend. Lord, even our best attempt to theologically define you, understand you, and know you comes up immeasurably short. You are beyond our knowledge. In fact, the only reason we know anything about you, Lord, is because you choose to reveal yourself to us. And so this morning I ask that's, that's what you do, that just in the middle of our text you would reveal yourself to us. That you would show us the nature of the relationship that the Father has with the Son and how that changes how we see the world and even how we think and see Jesus. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask for the next few moments that the Lord might teach you something. Whatever it is that you need to see or hear or encounter, just ask the Lord to teach your heart. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. We do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. This whole thing that unfolds on Sunday is not just about you. Pray that God would move in someone, even if you don't know their name. Just pray for them this morning. Lord, we turn our time over to you this morning. We ask you to be glorified and to reveal to our hearts truth. You are the only one who can teach us and reveal yourself to us. These deep and powerful things. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So Jesus has begun, and what what John is going to record here actually is the longest recorded discourse in the book of John. Discourse meaning Jesus' sort of long speech, right? It's the longest one that we've got, and John is going to record this at length because it's really important what he's saying to the Pharisees. But they have accused Jesus after healing this man on the Sabbath, they have accused him of breaking the law because he healed on the Sabbath, right? And Jesus says, first of all, God is not subject to your Sabbath law because he's God, right? And then he says, therefore, I'm not subject to your Sabbath law because essentially I am God. And that, I mean, the Pharisees lose it. In fact, in verse 19, we see that they try even harder to kill him from this point forward because he is making himself equal with God. And so what we're going to see in these verses this morning is Jesus is responding to that accusation. The accusation that you are making yourself equal with God. And You've got to understand that accusation was blasphemy and punishable by death. So under Jewish law, to make yourself equal with God or to call yourself God on any level was blasphemy, and therefore you were punished to the death. This is what Jesus is dealing with. And instead of refuting those accusations, he's actually going to define them even more clearly. And this is what he says, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, even at first read, you can tell that we're dealing with a mind bender, right? This is a little bit of a mind warp, theologically, because you have to understand several things from each piece in order to get to the piece below it. And it's really easy for us to sort of glaze over that as we read and go, man, Jesus is saying some powerful things about his relationship with the Son, and that's really cool. And I keep moving because there's other cool parts of the story. But what we're beginning to see here is a full doctrine of the Trinity coming to play and the definition of the relationship that Jesus has with God, and it's incredibly important. And so I want to take it piece by piece, piece, because I think he makes four really powerful statements here, Jesus does, that we need to understand that will shape our understanding of who Jesus is, not just when he's defining and describing it to the Pharisees, but to you and to me. And the first thing he says is this. He says the Son is both dependent upon and coextensive with the Father. So listen to verse 19 again. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing because what the Father does, the Son also does. So the Son is dependent upon and coextensive with the Father. Now, hang with me, all right? Now, the the Son is dependent upon the Father. So what Jesus is saying is that I am not acting independently. I am not an independent or alternate God. We are not talking about two, excuse me, gods here. The Son does not act even partially independent of God. The Son is completely dependent Upon the Father. Now, this is really important because theologically we are understanding the baseline of the connection that the Son has with the Father. Jesus is not going around doing his own things that God is nodding approval at. He is dependent upon the Father. Jesus tells the Pharisees, I can do nothing, I cannot act independently. Of God. Essentially what he's telling them is, when I walk around and I heal this guy who's crippled on the Sabbath, I'm not acting independently. I am literally acting dependent upon the Father. In other words, what the Father's doing, I'm doing. So the Son is dependent upon the Father. The Son is also coextensive with the Father. And that's just a fancy way of saying that Jesus, the Son, exists in space and time in the same manner as God. So not only is the son dependent upon God, but he exists in the same manner and time and space as God, meaning that when Jesus moves, it's God moving, right? When the father moves, it's the son moving. Now this is really important because what Jesus is telling the Pharisees essentially is you are looking, right? As you look at me, you are looking at someone who is coextensive with Father God. You are looking at someone who exists in the same space and time and manner as the Father. These are really powerful things. Because he's not refuting their claim. Their claim is that you should die because you are claiming to be equal with God. Instead of Jesus going, no, no, no. I'm not claiming to be equal with God. He actually says, no, I I am claiming to be equal with God. Because I am dependent upon the Father. I do nothing without him. Right? Right? And we exist in the same manner. Now, this is really, really important because we are establishing a baseline that is going to take Jesus to the cross. This is why the Pharisees were so upset at Jesus. It wasn't because he was just walking around doing a little hocus pocus miracles, It because Jesus says, I and the Father essentially are one. We coexist, right? We're coextensive, same space and time and manner. The actions of the Father are actually my actions. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does. Meaning that Jesus' actions are the actions of the Father. So the Pharisees were furious that Jesus was healing this guy on the Sabbath and he looks at him and he says, my actions, this healings are the actions of God. Right? What I do is an extension of what God does. I don't act alone. I am completely dependent upon God, and we exist in the same space, time, and manner. Now, that is a death sentence, but Jesus isn't mixing words at this point in time, and John is establishing for us that Jesus is speaking to his own deity, right? So the Son, right, is both dependent upon and coextensive with the Father. The second statement Jesus makes, come in verse 20. <clears throat> he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And yes, to your amazement, he will show, you even, show him even greater things than these. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So what we're seeing here is the why. So the Son is dependent upon the Father, coextensive with the Father. Why? Because the Father loves God the son, and shows him all he does. So because the father loves the son, loves Jesus, because God loves Jesus so deeply, he shows him where he's working and moving. And what's really important about this is that when we see Jesus move and act, we're actually seeing the love of the father. Now when Jesus heals this guy in this sort of scenario that we're in, we're not just seeing a random act A random miracle. We're actually seeing how much God loves the Son and how much God loves humanity. We are seeing the love of the Father. Because the Father loves the Son, he shows him what he's doing. And because the Son is dependent on the Father and coextensive with him, everything the Son does is an expression of the Father. Therefore, Jesus healing, acting, and moving is an expression of God's incredible love for the Son. And Jesus' obedient response is his reciprocal love for the Father. Now, I told you this is a mind-bending, mind-warp, complicated theological thing, but I want you to bear with me because it's fascinatingly important. Jesus is dependent upon the Father. They extend in the same space, time, and manner. And the Father reveals his work and his move to the Son because he loves him. Therefore, every action that Jesus does is because the Father loves the Son. It's an expression of God's incredible and infinite and amazing love, which means these healings aren't random. They're not just things that Jesus was doing on his own to try and prove to the Pharisees that they weren't doing it right. But that even Jesus moved to heal this man was an expression of how much the Father loves the Son, which is poured out into creation. And Jesus is looking at these Pharisees saying, I'm dependent upon the Father because we exist in the same space and time and he loves me and he shows me everything he does. In other words, this healing that you're so mad at me about is because the Father, Father God, loves me, loves him and is showing me what he's doing and I am responding in obedience. So if you're mad at me, you're mad at Father God because his love is the, it's poured out as the expression of what I do. My actions are an expression of how much God loves. Now, you can almost feel the Pharisees getting angry, right? Because Jesus isn't saying, look, I'm not equal with God. He's actually giving them definition to why he is. The Son is dependent upon and coextensive with the Father. The Father loves the Son and shows himself to him and all he does. Listen to verse 20. Keeps going, he says, Yes, to your amazement, he will show him, the Son, even greater things than these. So Jesus says, and to your amazement, which you're all worked up about a couple of miracles here, or maybe me healing this guy on the Sabbath, that's what you're all furious about? Well, get ready. Because we haven't even scratched the surface of what the Father is going to show me. And he's going to tell us in just a few verses that it's going to be in terms of authority over life and death, and that he's going to be entrusted all judgment to the Son. So Jesus says. You're worked up over me healing a guy on the Sabbath of a law that you spent 39 things trying to figure out how to parse out, and you haven't seen anything. Because what God is getting ready to give me, the Father is getting ready to give me and show me in terms of his love and authority is going to blow you away. You have not seen anything yet. In other words, don't be mad about this. There's better things to be mad about coming, right? Right? So he goes on to verse, the first two statements, right? Third statement, he goes on to verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So now he begins to talk about that authority that is being handed over him. You're going to see greater things than this. Listen, just as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so the Son gives life to whom he pleases. Statement Jesus makes is, As the Father gives life, so the Son gives life, right? Now, in the Old Testament, it was believed, and rightly so, that the only person that had power over life and death was God himself. Now, every once in a while, you'll come across the exception where someone will say, yeah, but Elijah, because Elijah raised the widow's son in 1 Kings. But really, Elijah was just acting as a representative of God. But God is the only one who has the ability to give life, right? Right? And Jesus here claims that just as the Father has and is the only one that can raise from the dead, essentially, and give life, so can I. I have been given that same authority over life and death. The Son has been given the authority that only God has, meaning I essentially am God. And Jesus isn't acting as Elijah, as some representative of God. He has been given the authority of God to give life to whom he chooses. Now keep in mind, Jesus isn't acting independently, right? He's not just choosing on his own. Why? Because it takes us back to statement one. The son acts dependently upon the father, and they exist in the same space, time, and manner. The third statement is actually an exemplification of the first The father, right, and the son exist dependently. The third statement is the expression of that. As the father gives life, so the son gives life to whom he chooses. Now look, in verse 30, Jesus is actually going to tell everybody this. He's going to say, he is going to say, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm not acting independently. But even though I give life, I give life as dependent upon the Father, and he shows me all that he does because we are coextensive. We exist in the same manner. Now, I know that is a mind warp, right? Because for us, it's really hard to wrap our minds around this. But you've got to understand what's going on in the heart of the Pharisees that are so incensed that Jesus has claimed essentially to be equal with God, he is taking it one step farther and saying, the very things that only God can do, he has entrusted me and empowered me to do. And I don't act upon them independently as if God has trusted me and doesn't know what I'm going to do, but my actions are actually dependent upon him and we exist in the same places. Therefore, my actions are important, but they are equally dependent upon God. And he loves me and shows himself to me and my obedience to him is my love for him. Essentially, I and the father are one. And if you're mad at me, you're mad at the father, right? Because just as he gives life, so I give life. And Jesus isn't just talking about necessarily raising from the dead like Elijah, or, or he's talking about a physical thing, and he's also talking about a spiritual thing, as we're going to see in a moment. This sort of eschatological, in times judgment piece of life and death. Not just raising someone that had lost life, but literally life and death eternally has been entrusted to the Son. And we're going to see that in just a second. We're also going to see it Next week. So he looks at the Pharisees and he essentially says, As the Father has the authority over life and death, so do I have authority over life and death. And he looks at them and he says this Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son that they may honor the Son and the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. The Father has entrusted Judgment to the Son. So the Father and the Son are dependent. The Son is dependent upon the Father. They are coextensive. The Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he does, right? Just as the Father gives life, so the Son gives life. And the Father, fourth statement, has entrusted judgment, all judgment, to the Son. Now the judgment we're talking about is uh, a judgment of an eschatological or an end times judgment that's spoken about in Revelation 20 that we will all stand before God and be accountable for our lives. All throughout the Old Testament, God is seen as the judge. He is seen as the one that stands and condemns Right or judges his people and the nations surrounding his people. It's the picture of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus is handed this authority and this final judgment where he stands over all creation. And in this time, we are held accountable for what we do, either for the way that we act or for having placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We are all going to stand in this final judgment. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and he says, The Father... Right, God, who all of the Old Testament is the authority and judge, has given all of that to me. He has entrusted, if you will, all of judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. So you see here that not only is the Father, right, giving the authority of life to the Son, life and death, but that has a, Judgment, and that's got a logical meaning to it as well, that all judgment at the end has been handed over to the Son, meaning that he is the expression of God's authority. That just as God was judged in the Old Testament, that authority has been handed to Jesus, and he ultimately will be the judge. And he doesn't act independently. He acts dependently upon the Father, existing in the same manner, because the Father has shown him how he's working, and what he does, right? And what the father does, the son also does. Because they are in the same space, time, and manner. The father has given the son the authority over life and death. And he's given son and him with judgment. Why is this? Well, John places it right there at the end. Why? Because that all may honor the son as they honor the father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So the Father does this so that all may honor the Father and the Son. You know, Paul puts it really powerfully in Philippians two ten through 11 when he says that he gave him the name above all names, that the name of Jesus, right? Every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That when the Son is glorified, the Father is glorified. It's not a threat to God because they are dependent, right? They are coextensive. And honoring the Son is actually honoring the Father. And so Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, That the Father has given me authority over judgment and authority over life and death. Why? So that all may honor the Son. Honor me. Because when you do that, you honor the Father. And if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. He says all of those things to look at the Pharisees right in the eyeballs and say, If you don't honor me, you are dishonoring God. Now you think they were mad before. I mean, they are going to come unglued, right? Because this is what he's saying to them. You're accusing me of being equal with God? Let me explain something to you. Not only am I equal with God... But I am dependent upon him. And I exist in the same manner that he does. And he loves me and shows me everything he does. And he has given me authority over life and death. And he has given me and entrusted to me judgment over you and over all of creation. That if you honor me, you honor him. And if you don't honor him, if you don't honor me, you dishonor him that every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let me tell you why this is really so incredibly important. And I'm not going to go long today. In fact, we're just going to wrap up because I want these things, they're going to play a really important foundation later on, but I want you to understand that theology is really important. And you know why theology is so important? Because theology keeps us, good theology keeps us from bad theology. So understanding the nature of who God is and who Jesus is is really important because it keeps us from bad theology. Jesus is not an ambassador for God. A lot of us think or think about Jesus that way, that he came to earth as a representation of God to the people, to speak on behalf of God, and and that when we, you know, honor Jesus, that we really have this this higher honor for God. And, And the truth is that's just bad theology. Jesus is not an ambassador of God. An ambassador does not have the same authority and an ambassador does not get worshiped like the king or the person that sent them. They are coming merely as a representation. Hey, I'm coming on behalf of and I'm going to speak for, however, I'm still not that person. Jesus is not God's ambassador, right? Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. He is Dependent upon and coextensive with the Father. The Father has shown him how he moves and works. And Jesus moves and works because he is dependent upon the Father and extends in the same way the Father does. And the Father has entrusted to him life and death. And Jesus doesn't act alone or independently because he is dependent and extensive with the Father. And that judgment that he has given the Son is so all may glorify the Father and the Son together. Jesus is making this incredible claim to the Pharisees that he is, in fact, God. Now, this is where things should change for us as followers of Christ, because here's the deal. If we read passages like this, we come to one of really two natural conclusions. One, Jesus is absolutely delusional. I mean, think about it. Think about what he just told the Pharisees. Think about what he said about who he is. I mean, imagine if someone said that to you today right? Hey, what are you doing? All just hanging out? Really? Uh, What's your name? Oh, well, yeah, my name is so-and-so, and and by the way, I am God. Really? Okay. I got to go, man. This is essentially what Jesus is saying. He's either radically delusional and crazy, right? Or he is who he said he is. There is no rational middle ground You cannot come to a middle ground where you say, Jesus is a great teacher, and therefore I'm going to follow his teachings, but I'm not going to necessarily believe that he did all those other things. It's irrational, because Jesus is an absolute lunatic, if that's true. Why would you follow those teachings of a guy who claimed to be in very essence and extensive nature God himself? And would look at all of creation and essentially said, God has given me the ability to raise life and to condemn for eternity and to judge everyone. And we say, I don't want to hear any of that, but boy, I really like the part about loving your neighbor, man. No, we're not listening to a word that guy has to say. Because he's either all crazy or he's not. And there is zero rational middle ground. And so if you've landed somewhere in a middle ground of your understanding and belief about Jesus, I encourage you to actually continue to read John 5 because either you're going to adopt who he is, who he says he is, or you're going to abandon Christianity in totality because you can't live in the middle because the middle is rationally unacceptable because these are crazy things if they're untrue. But the incredible thing, right, is that not only is Jesus going to continue to save them, he's going to support them. He's going to speak to them. He's going to do demonstrations. He's ultimately going to end up on the cross and be raised from the dead to support every single word he utters. And not only is he going to do that, all of creation is going to do it. John is going to do it. Paul is going to do it. The seas are going to calm when he speaks. Diseases are going to leave people. All of creation is going to testify that Jesus is who he says he is. And the question that you and I have to deal with is, who do I really believe Jesus is? That the Son is dependent upon the Father, coextensive with him in manner and space and time. And the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he does. And the Son, as he moves and acts, is an expression of God's incredible love. And the Father has, because he loves the Son, right, has given him authority over life and death and entrusted him with judgment. And when we honor Jesus, we honor the Father. And if we don't honor Jesus, we dishonor God. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is who John is pointing to, not some traveling rabbi that's got a bunch of great sayings that we can all cling to but the radical upheaval of all of human history wrapped in the person. What do we do with that? What do you do with that? Who do you say Jesus is? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for challenging and deep truth that sometimes it's hard to put a finger on it. Sometimes it seems a little bit bigger than our minds want to jump in and around, but it's so amazingly powerful. I love, God, I love scripture. I love how beautifully complex and simple it is all at the same time. I love the fact, God, that you are mysterious and beyond my grasp at times. But I love, God, that you are incredibly consistent. That you are always true. And Lord, I believe with all of my life, with every fiber of who I am, that Jesus is who He said He is. I see all of Scripture, all of creation, even the very evidence in my own life point to that truth. And Jesus, you are Savior and Redeemer. You are God in essence and manner and purpose and being. You are God. So Lord, as we wrestle with that question this morning in worship and and we wrestle with that truth, who do we think Jesus is? Who do we say that you are? Just some delusional, crazy person that has crazy claims on life or the author of life itself, the one who holds truth, the one who reveals the nature of God himself, the one who stands entrusted with judgment, and the one who has authority over life and death. Jesus, I believe that is you. And I believe I am indebted to you for rescuing me from sin and death. For sitting out this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, I believe that's who Jesus is. I believe that he loves me and that he came and went to the cross and died for me. I encourage you to just come down and visit with me after worship and let me tell you about the God that turned my life upside down and how you can know him and have a relationship with him. And as we close in, time, close in worship this morning, let us ask our own hearts that same question. Lord, have I fully given myself to the lordship of Christ, that Jesus is God, and that he stands with all authority over my life, both present and future, and that I'm called to surrender to him? So, Father, hear our cries as we close our time in worship, knowing that you are God, and to honor the Son is to honor the Father who sent him, in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.